Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Let's all stand up together. Let's stand up. Jesus had said to his disciples at one time, he said, he said um, a night is coming when no man can work. And when Jesus died, the, the, the world, the earth, everything plunged into a darkness because the light had gone out of the world. And what we came here today to celebrate was the reality that Jesus did not leave the world in darkness, Amen. but came bursting forth in glorious day. So we're, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and thank him for all he's done for us and just to welcome the glorious resurrection power of Christ in the church. Oh, Lord God, great and mighty is your name. And Jesus, you have been a savior to us. Lord, you have been mighty in power and strength, overcoming death and the grave and, re- and rising, Lord, rising in mighty power. And Lord, we acknowledge the resurrection power of Christ is here with us today. Even as the scriptures say that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in us. And we acknowledge it, Lord, because we were dead, but we are alive. We have a new life in you. And Lord, we've come to celebrate, glorify you, and give you the glory. Do your name. Be glorified in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to see everyone this morning. We're so glad you're here today and that we can take time apart and celebrate the incredible work that Jesus has done. And um, today, just to give you kind of a little kind of a little heads up. I, my hope and desire in this message today, I, I called it empty graves, just don't happen. Um, because from a pre- purely human and rational standpoint, it is impossible once dead to cease to be dead. Um, apart from some extenuating circumstances. Um, but what I really hope today we can, we can see um, and, and come to the same kind of place together is if you're a person who's here who believes with, with your heart, from the heart, that Jesus was raised from the dead, I want to see your faith strengthened and made solid and just, and just and affirmed. And I want you to go out of here just with encouragement and joy in your heart. And if you're a person who's in here today and you're going, uh, I don't know about that. Well, then I want to try the, to the best of my ability, dependent upon the grace of God, to, to um, lead you to, into a place where you can see the road out at least to see the road out from skepticism to a place of simple faith. And you're going to find that um, faith in the resurrection of Jesus is the key that opens the door to the entire kingdom of God. And so it matters quite a lot. So let's go to God together with these things in mind and prayer and just ask him to work in his power and his strength here. Ah, Lord God, we, we praise and glorify your name. Thank you for the time of worship that we've had this morning to celebrate and just to, just to rejoice in a supernatural work of God. Thank you for the glory of God that descends upon the church even as we worship. Thank you for the glory that's here because your spirit is here. Thank you that because uh, we are one in you, Lord, and we, are, and we are gathered in your name that you also have said you would be here with us. So Jesus, we welcome you and thank you that your spirit is here and that the reality of God is a reality that makes, that, that builds the atmosphere that we live in. Thank you for all the good and gracious things that you've done for us 
And Lord, we thank you for the days ahead that will be marked by your grace. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would work in great power here today to strengthen the faith of those who do believe and also, Lord, to compel those who struggle, who struggle to believe, Lord, to see, oh God, the mighty work of Christ. And I pray for the power of God to come and to open our eyes and open our ears, Lord, to see and to hear and our hearts to believe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we gather and hope today and every other day, the truth we're told, because of one glorious impossibility that we irrationally simply believe. And what is that? It's this. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. That's why we're here. That's why we, that's why those of us who call ourselves Christians, that's why we say we have a new life in God. It's because Jesus was dead, but he was, but he was brought up out of the grave into a new life and everyone who puts their faith in him also received from him a new life. Because we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. That means that sin was having its way with us. And its way, the Bible says, always leads to death. It was, we were dead spiritually and, and hopeless and helpless without God in this world. And then some, one day, we heard a message. We, it's incredible, isn't it? A message just some information that you'd never had before that came with a particular grace and power. And when you heard it, it wasn't just something new that now you're saying, oh, well, that's interesting, and you just go on with your life. When you heard it, it seemed to have this power in your heart that it compelled you to do something, that it had had almost strings. It pulled at your heart and said, well, now you've got to respond to this. And in your heart, something said, I have to surrender to Jesus. And we let go of control of our lives, which we thought we had. So why is it that while we believe we're in control of our lives, our lives are spinning out of control? Why is that? And maybe it's because we were never meant to run this thing. Maybe it was always God's way that we should offer up our hearts and our lives and our minds and everything to him and that he would come in and he would be the master that guides the ship. And we go on from there of the different, on a different course because he's in our lives. But we believe that Jesus died, that he actually died, that he fully died. His heart was not beating. How do we know that? Well, because a Roman soldier put a spear through it. That makes a difference, doesn't it? And whether or not someone's heart keeps beating. We believe that Jesus kept on, that that he went on into the grave, fully dead, and remained there. According to the scriptures, meaning all these things had been written a long time before they happened. And then on the third day, Jesus, by the mighty power of God, was raised up and was actually not any longer dead, but now fully alive. And... 
that changed everything forever. And if you find yourself skeptical of such an event, you would certainly not be alone in history. You would not be alone even in this room. I don't know how many of you, you don't have to put your hands up, but how many of you would confess that you are a, uh, if you're a Christian now, you're a, you're a skeptic who's been healed of their skepticism. Yeah, thank you for the few Yeah, but I know there's many. Um, and it's just an incredible thing to see how God can take us from a place where, where an impossible thing, where something we look at, we would scoff at, we would say, no, never happens, doesn't happen, couldn't happen. If I didn't believe all this stuff about Jesus before, I really don't believe it now. How we could go from a place like that to a place of uh, this resurrected Jesus is all of my life. That'd be a pretty hard facade to hold up for any length of time, don't you think? There would have to be something substantial to it. There would have to be something real about it. For people, not just in, well, now by the way, that was like 2,000 years ago. And it hadn't, the, the, the movement hadn't gotten smaller. It's gotten bigger and bigger and more and more people, more and more people are saying, no, I, I believe, well, at first I believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, but now I don't even say believed anymore. Now I say, I know that he's alive. And you'll see why in just a minute. But Jesus spoke to his disciples and he warned them what was gonna happen. Matthew 16 says it this way in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, the, spirit, the religious leaders of all people, right? The religious leaders are gonna take hold of me and they're gonna abuse me and treat me terribly. And then he said, and they're gonna kill me. And he said he would be raised up on the third day. Jesus told his disciples about this. So what was their response? Yes, Lord, every word you've ever spoken is faithful and true. We trust you, no problem. Is that what they said? Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to what? Rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus said, this will definitely happen to me. Peter said, it will never happen to you. That was the depth of, of resistance to the idea that someone could be killed and raised from the dead, even among his own group of disciples. But Jesus, he turned and said to Peter, his famous words, get behind me, Satan. I mean, Peter, don't get upset, but... Get behind me, Satan. He's identifying where this message is coming from. And he says, you are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. What does he mean by that? He means men want to avoid suffering. The central thing. And he's saying, you're a stumbling block to me. Don't even present me with the idea that this is avoidable because it's going to be extremely hard, but I have to go through it. So he said, men are only interested in not ever suffering and not ever experiencing discomfort, not having their world shaken, not experiencing things that cause us to, to have to rethink or rework and renavigate the plan. But he said, God's interests are very different from man's interests. And he didn't say this to Peter at this time, but he made, he, it was made clear at a later date. The only way 
any of you are going to have any hope is if I fix my face like flint and never turn from this course. So Jesus was determined to see it through. So Jesus told his disciples very clearly all that would happen to him. But there was a problem. Once dead, people tend to stay that way. That he would be raised from the dead was certainly not common sense. So Jesus goes on to Jerusalem. It's so interesting to read. I, read all, I was reading through the different gospel accounts of the resurrection and the, the events before and after. And it says that Jesus was, he was, up, he was up at the front of the crowd. You know, he had this crowd. He didn't just have 12. He had a crowd of disciples who were following him at this point. And it said they were watching him head up to Jerusalem. And he'd been talking this way. I'm going up to Jerusalem and things are going to get rough in Jerusalem. And it says that those who watched him from afar, it says they watched him and they feared. The group, the culture that was forming around Jesus as he headed up to Jerusalem was one of fear. Well, if they're going to, you know, kill him or capture him, hurt him, whatever they're going to do, then, and I'm with him, then by association, what's going to happen to me? And this is what was sort of the ideas and thoughts and feelings that were traveling through his own group. And, but you see Jesus up there, but the Bible, that's where the Bible uses that phrase that he had set his face as flint, meaning he fixed his, his ambitions and his desire and the plan, and he was not going to be turned from it by anyone or by anything. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and everything he said would happen did happen. He was arrested. He was betrayed by one of his own. He was arrested. He was taken in. He had a mock trial. I mean, it was, it was an absolute travesty of justice, the trial of Jesus. There was no, they were, they were having to produce people who they're, who they're giving incentives to lie because they just can't find anything to accuse him of that, has any, that holds any water. And so they finally say, well, tell us the truth. Are you the son of God or not? And Jesus finally gets interested in the conversation. He's just been, you get the impression, he's just sitting there just going, this is, this is the road. But everything is just such insanity going on around him. And then he, Jesus says, okay. He said, he, said, he said, you know what? I am the son of God. And you yourselves with your own eyes are gonna see the son of man coming in all of his glory and in all of his power at the right hand of authority on high. And when he said those words, they, they stood up and they tore their clothes, which is a way of saying, you know, blasphemy. Something has occurred in our presence. And he said, we, he said, what do we need any more of these witnesses for? We've heard it ourselves. And they said, what does this man deserve? And they said, he deserves death. And the people who, even people who had at one time supported Jesus from a distance, probably um, everyone begins to call for his death. And so he goes before Pilate. Pilate's a Roman govern, governing official. And Pilate is even being, being persuaded that Jesus is a good man. This, this shouldn't be happening. What's going on here? You know, but then he's in, under a lot of political pressure. And so, and so Pilate makes some really bad decisions in the moment. But it had to happen. It was the, it was the road. And so Jesus is handed over. Pilate washes his hands and says, I got nothing to do with this. And the, the religious leaders see to it that Jesus is crucified and he's crucified between thieves and it's great. Then the thieves are heaping 
are heaping accusations and criticisms on Jesus and mocking him and all this, the people who are walking by are mocking him, then one of the thieves has a change of heart. One of the thieves puts his faith in Jesus while he's dying on the cross. Nobody dies like Jesus dies. Nobody can do what Jesus can do. Like, he's the only one. There's, there's never been one like him. There won't be another after. So one of the thieves puts his faith in Jesus as he's dying. And as the, the things play out, sunset's coming and they want to clear the crosses so they break the thieves' legs. But at this point, Jesus has already died. So not a, not a single bone, just as it was prophesied, not a single bone of his was broken. And Jesus, <clears throat> he's, he's dead and they come up and they say, well, make sure he's dead. And that's what I referenced earlier. They put a spear in his side and the Bible says, out forthwith out came blood and water. And so this is the piercing of the, with the, or the pericardium, the, the sack around the heart. So it goes up through here and it pierces into his actual heart. He was, the Bible says, pierced for our transgressions. Blood and water come flowing out. And they say, okay, we're, we're persuaded he's dead. And his body's taken down. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret disciple um, of Jesus, a secret disciple no more, goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus because his heart is broken and so many people were devastated. Even Nehemiah shows up. Not Nehemiah, I'm sorry. Um, what's the, not Nehemiah. <laughs> Miraculously, Nicodemus. <laughs> Nicodemus, really similar name, but not the same guy. Yeah, so Nicodemus even shows up and, and is a part of the burial process, but Jesus is buried. These are his friends, people who loved him. And they lay him in, a, in an unused grave, in a new grave. Every one of these things is fulfilling the scriptures. And they roll a stone over it. And guess what? Jesus is dead. And hope drains out of the world. Even his own disciples slide away into a total, full-on discouragement. He had told them many things, but none of it meant anything at this moment because he's gone. And what do, you, what do we all know? When people die, they're dead most of the time. So all of this happens. Jesus is buried, as I said. Just great discouragement settles in. And then, with the 11 disciples hiding away in disbelief, Mary, who found the courage to go to the tomb, she shows up at the tomb and then, some, then something else goes wrong. She inadvertently misbelieves. It's like a misfire of belief. She shows up and she sees some things. Let's read it together. John 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb and while it was still dark, she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Now, hold on a second. That's all she saw. And instantly, a panic and speculation. So she ran, not to the tomb to find out exactly what was going on, but away from the tomb to go and report things she half knew. I'm not judging her. She was trying to, she was, she was just suddenly like, she's coming to go and visit the grave site where there was a sealed tomb, but the stone's been rolled away. So what does she assume? There's been some meddling with the body of Jesus. So she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb 
the two were running together. This is so funny to me because John writes this and John's like the disciples, you know, he's like, he's like these, they came to the disciples and Peter, and by the way, one disciple Jesus particularly loved. And then he says, and they were running on together. And watch what he writes here. The other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. A little rivalry going on here. Just pointing him just faster. That's just pointing that out. He's just slow. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So John looked in. He saw the, the grave clothes, in effect, that Jesus had been wearing. And he says, I, but I'm, I can't go in there. It was the pain was too close for him. A different disposition than Peter had. So Peter came also following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So all the grave clothes are off. The, the, what do you do? You know, if you, if you were to wake up, let's just say this was a crazy set of circumstances, but you woke up this morning and you'd had an awful night of sleep, tossing and turning, and when you woke up, your pillowcase was over your head. What do you think the first thing you would do? Would try to find your slippers? No, you'd take off. You'd get the covering off of your head, right? And it says it was taken off and rolled up and laid aside. Grave robbers don't do that. You know what I mean? This is a, a, a human who, or I don't say human. He is, but not, but kind of. But he, this is, this is a person who has awoken as from, as from sleep, but from death itself. He takes the covering off his head and the grave clothes. So the other disciple who'd first come to the tomb, then also entered. Now John's found his courage too, and he saw and believed. But what did they believe? That Jesus had been raised from the dead? No, not yet. Look at what it says. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples did what? They went away again to their own homes they believed the report that Mary had brought, which was that someone had taken his body. So Jesus told him, and there was not just one instance, but multiple instances where Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen to him, that he was going to be raised. But look how hard it is to accept. Can you see this? They're looking at the empty grave, the grave closed. Jesus said, I'm going to come back from the grave after three days. Well, now it's the third day and the clothes are there and Jesus isn't and they're going, someone took his body. So even after they saw the empty tomb, they believed the wrong information and misinterpreted the things they saw. So the disciples went away to their own homes. You know, if, G if I'd thought Jesus had risen from the dead, I'm not going to my house. I'm gonna go to the old stomping grounds. I'm gonna go to the places Jesus hung out when he was around this area. I'm gonna go looking for him. But they went to their homes. In John 20, though, Mary did not go to her home. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw, get this, two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. So now she's talking to angels and they're like, why are you upset? And she says, because somebody stole Jesus' body. 
And it could be the angels were kind of in disguise. Sometimes they do that kind of stuff. But we don't know. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But what happened? She did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, same question, woman, why are you weeping? What they're trying to convey is, we're at the point of rejoicing. We've reached the point of great rejoicing. You have no idea what has happened. Whom are you seeking? He knows, right? We know that. (laughs) He knows who she's seeking. So supposing him to be the gardener. (laughs) I mean, Jesus isn't, he's not wearing overalls and he's got his pinking shears, you know what I mean? He's Jesus and he's talking to her. And she says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Now, Jesus has appeared, so what? It should be settled, right? Pretty well settled. He's not in there, he's actually out here, and he's talking to you. But no, he's mistaken for the gardener and still thought to be dead. Now, meanwhile, just to give you a picture of how things are unfolding in the world at this time, meanwhile, back at headquarters... To make matters worse, the soldiers begin to circulate a rumor that threatens the credibility of Jesus and his disciples. What had happened was that they had put a seal on the tomb. Like, well, I don't know if it was wax or what it was, but it was a seal to show if anyone had disrupted the stone. Like, his, because they were saying his disciples, they're gonna, they said to the religious leaders, said to the, to the Romans, this deceiver, called Jesus a deceiver, right? The pot calls the kettle black, Right. This deceiver said while he was still alive that he would die and be raised again. Even the Pharisees knew about it. He said, so put a seal on a guard because we don't want that to be able to happen. So the guards are standing there. The thing is sealed. The angel shows up and just whoosh, just rolls the stone out of the way. Well, the guards saw it happen. That's what the Bible says. And how do we know they saw it? It says they fell down as dead men. Not dead But as dead men, what they saw so overwhelmed their senses that their bodies shut down. That's remarkable. Well, they woke up. The stone is still rolled away. The body inside is gone. And they start to think about their pretty little heads. Because they're in big trouble. So they go back and report what had happened in Matthew 28. It says they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, the religious leaders consulted together. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Think about this. They've just been told, we saw an angel roll the stone away and the religious leaders said, I need my fixer on this. Give them a large sum of money and said, you are to say, knowing it's a lie, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we'll win him over and keep you out of trouble. This is the extent of the hardness of heart. And they, the soldiers, took the money and did as they'd been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews, and it is to this day. So they had, now they had a rumor in circulation that was going to discredit everything that they, if they said, we think Jesus was raised from the dead, there's already a rumor. They've already gotten ahead of it with false information. And if you want, this is interesting. Matthew was written around 50 to 
as 50 or 60 AD. And Matthew wrote this and he said, he said, this rumor was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. He wrote that 50 or 60 years later. And still, when they're going out and preaching the gospel, they're, they're still hearing, well, what I heard was that his disciples took the body and that he wasn't raised. That's how, that's how damaging something like this can be. So what was their problem? What was everybody's problem? The answer is this. It's the same problem that we all have. An inborn skepticism of everything supernatural. We are born with it. We are born with a resistance to everything that we cannot understand. And the only trouble, and it's maybe not the only trouble, but a significant trouble with having an inborn skepticism toward everything supernatural is that if you're going to believe in God at all, he is, by definition, supernatural. And guess what? His works follow after his nature, which means the things that he does, and that's not just in Bible stories, but in your life, are going to defy the laws of nature. And so faith itself is predicated on the, on the idea or the understanding at least that I'm going to have to accept some things that are tough to accept. But what we find, and this is unique to Christianity because there's other people who would call their religion in some sense or another their faith, um, but unique to Christianity is that where our ability to comprehend or to believe comes to an end, God himself comes in and helps us to believe. And that's, it's something that happens outside of yourself in a sense of like you didn't, you couldn't ever have made it happen. It's not you doubling down and trying to make yourself believe something. It's God coming in and opening and, and actually placing in your heart and in your spirit the thing that we call belief, faith. He opens your heart to believe. And it's incredible. And it's a miracle every time it happens. So we would say something like this, empty graves just don't happen. Empty graves, just resurrections, things like just they just don't happen. Or if it did happen, then there must be some rational explanation. So human nature is all too eager to accept the other stories like the disciples stole the body and all this other stuff. So Jesus comes in because he's got he's to he's heal not just the people around him, not just the culture he was in, but he's got to heal the whole world going forward. He's got to heal everybody's heart who's ever going to trust in him. So Jesus meets us at the point of our rationalization and brings something that is unique to Jesus, and that is revelation. He brings revelation. And I want you to see how he opens Mary's heart. Look at this in John chapter 20, verse 16. Jesus said to her, look at this, so simple and yet it's everything. He says to her, Mary. He speaks her name and now she knows. That's incredible. I want to actually ask for a show of hands. How many of you in your Christian, if you're a Christian here, how many of you in your Christian faith at some point or another in your personal prayer times or in some function of your faith or life have heard God speak your name to you? Very many people. And I want to say to you that if you're a Christian and you didn't raise your hand, it's okay. No, it's not a judgment. It's not, God doesn't have any favorites. You all know that. 
no favorites. But what I wanna say is if you wanna go to the next place in your faith, you wanna take another big step in faith, then begin to ask God to speak your name to you. It unlocks things in your heart when you know that you are, not, not just that you know him, but that you are known by him. And that he knows you by name. So he says, Mary, she turned to him and in Hebrew she said, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, whoa, whoa, stop, <laughs> stop clinging to me. In other words, I can't stay just now. For I've not yet ascended to the Father. I'm gonna have to leave again, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and, and what? Your Father. So, so everything has changed. Everything has changed because he is not dead, but he's alive. He's, he used to, when he talked about his Father in heaven, his Father in heaven, his Father in heaven, well, now it's your Father. His Father and your Father. Everyone who believes in him. And to my God and your God. Jesus has done that for you and for me. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. That's incredible. This was not the end. We could go through, we could just keep going. Jesus appears, he shows up in the, in the room where the disciples are. They're freaking out and, 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 and T Thomas had just gotten done saying, well, you guys can all believe, but I'm not gonna believe until I get to put my finger in the hole in his hand. What do we call that? Skepticism. It's the nature of man to disbelieve, to not believe supernatural things. And so Jesus shows up and says, Thomas, what was it you were just saying? And he comes over and he actually touches the wound, the holes in his hands. And then he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, I'm glad you've come to that revelation, but it would have been better for you to have believed without having to see. And he's saying all, he would say that to all of us. If you have to have a sign and a miracle, I'm gonna get you one way or another. I'm gonna get your heart, capture it one way or another. I'll get, I, if, I have, if it has to be through a sign, I'll probably, I might be willing to do that for you. But it would be better if you could just hear my word and respond to it in faith. It would be better. So they had a whole lot of stuff going on working out their own humanity and, and people who had walked with Jesus for years were struggling to accept these things. So we have this same nature in us that, that hesitates to accept the supernatural. So I wanna propose to you a different way of considering, maybe. Because we say may, these things don't happen. I wanna say, well, maybe the empty grave, maybe the resurrection did happen. And maybe, with God, all things are possible. And maybe, just maybe, this impossible event is the linchpin that secures all our hope and faith. How can I say that, though? Am I, I think, it sounds like I'm overemphasizing the resurrection. Jesus did a lot of things, and we need to believe in all the things that Jesus did equally, right? Well, look at what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine. It says that if you, and this is how I said, I said the resurrection was gonna give you the keys to the kingdom. Didn't I say that? 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the resurrection is not optional. The resurrection is the, is the hinge point. It's the central thing. We have to accept a supernatural event as actual history because it is actual history. But it's an actual historical moment that as soon as you put your trust in what Jesus has done for you both at the cross and in the resurrection, it fundamentally changes who you are forever and changes the destination of your soul. You belong to God and your soul is headed for heaven and in an eternal glory. He delivers us from ourselves and from the slavery to sin that had bound us for so long. He makes us new creatures in Christ. He gives us his nature within us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Bible says. And not only that, he gives us a, his own conquering spirit with the power to overcome sin. So we don't have to continue to live in it anymore. And that is a life worth living and for us, when it time, time comes for us to die, it's a death worth dying because we shut our eyes in this world and we open them in eternal glory. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? This is in the first century. There were, there were eyewitnesses of his resurrection and there were also people in the church saying, uh, I don't think there is a resurrection in the first century. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, he writes, not even Christ has been raised. And that's a big problem. And here's why. In verse 14, if Christ has not been raised and our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. If there is no resurrection, there's nothing else. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Paul's talking about himself and all the apostles who preached the gospel to them. We're all liars. We're all false witnesses because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact, as you're saying, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Do you see this? This is the pin that everything is turning on. If there's no resurrection, there is nothing else. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But listen to what he says here. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep, his point being he has been raised from the dead and there's a resurrection coming for you as well. He was just the first one. You, everyone who has faith in him, whether you die in him or you live when he comes, he's gonna, he's gonna raise you up. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. It's just God's perfect, you know, they talk about the gospel as the curse reversed. Through one man, sin came into the world and through one man, he took it out. He destroyed the power of it. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. That's all who are in Christ will be made alive. I'd like you to stand up with me. 
And I'm going to just show you just something simple. I'm just going to ask you three questions, just three questions. And I want to show you the road out. If you find that you're a person who's skeptical of, of, resur- of the resurrection of Jesus, and it's been a stumbling block for you, I want to ask you three questions. I want to show you a, the road out from skepticism to faith. Now, we're dependent upon the grace of God. My three questions can't save you. But I want you to think, and I want you to answer these questions honestly in your heart. First of all, from a hypothetical standpoint, if it were true, answer this honestly to yourself. If it were true, would you want to know? How you answer that question will tell you whether or not you're actually on a journey that is actually seeking truth. Because lots of people say, well, I want to know what the truth is. You say, well, have you read the Bible? And they go, well, I was raised in church. I don't believe in that stuff. Well, hold on a second. You're going to throw out this whole belief system because somebody else you saw was a hypocrite or there was abuse or church was bad or whatever it was. If you're really on the path to truth, you really, you got to open up your heart and say, God, I want to know the whole truth, whatever it is and wherever it's found. So if it were true, would you want to know? If you answer yes to that question, you may now progress to question two. The theoretical. If it is true, do you want to know? Now we're talking about your will. There's a little pressure. You feel that? Just a little pressure on your will. Do you want to know? And if you say no to that question, you stop right here. But if you say yes to that question, then I'll take you to question three, and that's the personal. This is where it gets very personal. It is true. Jesus has been raised from the dead, but here's the fundamental question. Can you accept it? Can you accept it? Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray over this room and over this space for hearts that have been in skepticism, Lord, to take the road out, to take it out now. Today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not someday. Someday when I have a family, someday when it matters, I'll add some religion to my, none of that. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, I pray you'd help anyone who's in a place of skepticism to take the road out. And I pray that saving faith, Lord, would be formed in the heart. Would be formed in the heart by the spirit of grace. Come now, O God. Meet us here in Jesus' name. Help us to overcome, Lord. We're standing in the way of our own progress sometimes. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us now to take by faith that leap forward, Lord, and to say yes to Jesus. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. You died for me. You took the burden and the penalty that my sin deserved, and you were also raised from the dead. And in that is all my hope. Lord, come and be a glorious Savior in this place here today. Strengthen all of our faith, Lord. We all need to be strengthened and to stand upon the rock, which is Christ Jesus, the glorious hope of all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Jesus said that... um, the wind blows where it will and you can't see where it comes from or where it's going but so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit and Jesus described what we call salvation as being born of the spirit it is the work of God 
So this morning, if, if something has happened in your soul today and you recognize that God has done something in you today, I want to give you an opportunity. You know, when I grew up in a church, and I'm sure it was just me and my foolishness, but I equated being saved with walking the aisle. That's what you did to be saved, right? But the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But I do think there's a place, and maybe it's for us, maybe it's for the body, of acknowledging publicly that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. So if that's happened today, or if you would like someone to pray with you, there will be people up front at the end of the service. And I want to give you that opportunity today. What a wonderful day it is to rejoice in what God has done for us. From before the foundation of the earth, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain for our salvation. So this morning, um, after I pray, if you want to come up front and uh, have prayer, that would be wonderful. I want to hear the word of the Lord. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Historically in the church, the person leading the service would say, he is risen, and the folks in the body would say, he is risen indeed. So if you believe that this morning, that Jesus Christ is alive today, you can respond that way. He is risen. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much that by your great power, you raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus, we thank you that you obeyed the will of the Father every day of your life on earth, even to death on the cross. And we thank you that you were raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who spoke to us, to our dead soul, and said, live. We give you thanks today and we rejoice in your greatness, O God, our Lord and our Savior. Amen and amen. Go in peace. There'll be folks up up front if you want to pray.